so his influence on my life and my work, and then I could see how God orchestrated it all because, like you said, like we're both meant to affect culture with leadership and faith. And that brings us to the power of positive leadership. I mean, Ken years ago was going to write a book with Norman Vincent Peale called The Power of Positive Leadership. And they never got to it. That's why I dedicated the book to Ken. I wanted to honor him for his positive leadership because he is the ultimate positive leader besides Jesus, I think. Welcome to the Lead Like Jesus podcast. This is Karen and Chris Conley, and we are so excited to be with you today. We have a great friend and a great resource. If you are tuning in today, you have picked the right podcast with the right guest to really make a difference in your life. We have John Gordon with us. John, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Great to be with you. For those of you who are not familiar, by the end of the podcast, you will be on Amazon and every other resource to get many, many of your resources. But John is the author of The Energy Bus and most recently, The Power of Positive Leadership. John, I have to tell you, as I was beginning some research for our time together, I was walking through our house looking for The Power of Positive Leadership, and I found like four other books of yours that we have all paid ourselves to read because that's what you do when they're younger and like listen we want good truth in you so it's great to be able to have an opportunity to talk to you and to share all of the wealth of information and encouragement that your books provide to our listening audience thank you i'm honored that you have the books i think that's uh, that's exciting to know that they're in the house absolutely yeah john i would say to you i've read your books personally i've had a chance to meet you in person and One of the things that I want our listening audience to know is when you have a chance to not only read the author, but to know the author and your respect level goes up, then that's not always true. And so we're so grateful for who you are, not only what you do. And as we jump into the podcast, I think a lot of times before we jump into some of the great books that you have and the truths that you teach, People love to hear a little bit more about who you are. Could you just give us a little recap as to who was John Gordon in the beginning days before you became this tremendous best-selling author? Well, I was someone, I would say, that was always on a faith journey. I was someone that was a seeker, and I grew up in a Jewish-Italian family, a lot of food, a lot of guilt, (laughs) a lot of whining. Never went to temple, never went to church or anything like that but just grew up in many ways just seeking, believing that there was a God, but not, you know, religious at all. And then in my 20s, I met my wife at 24. We had two small children by the time I was 30. And, you know, I really struggled with fear and negativity and depression, not heavy depression, but just a light depression and a lot of just down days. My wife had had enough of my negativity. She said, like, I love you, but I'm not going to spend my life with someone who makes me so miserable. Wow. And she said, if you don't change, like, we're over. And I I knew I needed to change. I mean, it was a a great ultimatum. I mean, she had to make it, and I really had to change. So I begged her to stay. She agreed to stay, and then I began the process of changing. Initially, it was positive psychology. It was the emerging field at that time. So I was doing all this research. It was a lot of studies in Buddhism and meditation and just trying to find ways to control my emotions, to try to be happier, to try to be more positive on this journey. And I would take these walks of 
of gratitude. I called them thank you walks. And every day I would try to find one great thing about the day and celebrate the success of the day. So I was reading all this research and then doing all these different practices. And that helped a lot. I mean, it really did make a difference. But there was still, I would say, a hole in my soul. There was still a lot of pain. There was still this anxiousness that I couldn't get over. And I wrote a few books. They didn't do well. They didn't do great. I thought I was going to take off as a writer and speaker after that. And that's a long story how I became a writer and speaker. I, I basically just said, God, what am I born to do? Why am I here? When I was at the peak of my misery and writing and speaking came to me. So this was all about the same time. My wife threatened to leave me. I'm not sure what I'm meant to do. And, and writing and speaking came to me. People like Ken Blanchard were people I looked up to, books I read, and I realized I want to do what they do. I want to inspire people the way that they do. And so it led me to write a few books that didn't do great. And I remember thinking like, okay, what am I going to do with my life? Like, this is not going well. I started listening to these sermons that a friend gave me by Erwin McManus. Yeah. Tremendous man and leader and teacher. I listened to him for over 20 years. Amazing. And, and one was called Why I Follow Jesus. So I listened to this sermon, I was like, wow, I mean, it just spoke to me. It was like what I needed it to hear, and it just changed the course of my life. And so eventually got baptized in 2006, the same year that I wrote The Energy Bus. And I wrote that book in three and a half weeks. God gave me the vision for it, the story. I wrote it, rejected by over 30 publishers. Finally, John Wally and Sons agreed to take it on, and the way that happened was only God could do the way it happened. They took it on. Eventually, John Wally and Sons, it was published, and no bookstores would carry it. I went on a 28-city tour. Again, people really discarded it, discounted it. A lot of people did. And then about five years later, it becomes a bestseller, and then has gone on to sell over a million copies. Wow. And just all God. How unpredictable, and, and yet, like you said, you know, when you look back and you have the advantage of looking back in time and, and, and being able to see how things unfold, you can see just the way that God orchestrates things in His perfect timing, not according to our timing, but His perfect timing. One of the things I heard in your story, I'd love for you to speak to just for a moment. When we do dive into the world of positive psychology or in the world of self-help, and, and I've read lots in that field, we can definitely make progress. But there is something different between progress and transformation. What I heard you describe about your faith component there is that you were definitely making progress, but then there was this kind of defining moment where you were able to go from that place of not only forgiveness, but freedom and becoming a new person. How has that influenced your writing as well, where, yes, you bring all the positive things to it, but also I, what I have noticed in your writing is you have a remarkable ability in a very strategic way, in a very way that's palatable for anybody, regardless of what they believe, to also kind of see and discover a little bit of the faith journey through your writing. Yes, I mean, I, I write in such a simple way, but that is only because that's what God has called me to do and inspired me to write that way. I mean, people often say, John, it's amazing the way you could take such complicated things and make it so simple, like you're a genius like that. I said, no, I'm not a genius. I'm just simple. Like, that's the way I think. Like, I'm not that smart. And so I write really simply, but again, that's how I'm, I'm meant to write. In terms of the positive psychology piece, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because 
you know, when we try to be positive, we can only be as positive as we are. And we all know that we fall short. We are all flawed people, right? We're all fallen. And once you understand that, that you cannot be positive just on your own, you then turn to a greater power. You turn to a greater source of positivity. And it all starts at the heart, right? It all starts with the heart. You must have a heart change, right? That's where transformation happens. It doesn't happen in the mind. The mind is just a computer, a processor, but, but the heart is where it happens. And that's where spirit leads you. That's where faith leads you. That's where the Holy Spirit comes in and changes you. So when I was baptized, when I accepted Jesus, I became a new creation in Christ. And so it wasn't like I was trying to become a better version of me. It was like the old version faded away and a new version of me was born. And my wife saw this transformation. This is not just me talking about it. Like my wife saw the change in me. My wife wasn't a believer, even though she grew up Irish Catholic, she wasn't a believer. And so here, this kid from Long Island who's Jewish, who now is becoming a follower of Jesus, and my wife is seeing this transformation, well, it ultimately led to her becoming a believer as well. And Graham Lotz was speaking at a meeting at FCA, only 100 people were there, and my wife just started bawling at this meeting and gave her life to Jesus that night. But it was also because she saw my transformation and knew something was going on. So it happened through the heart, and I am really like a, a different person than when I was. I never wrote like this before. I think it's interesting that the, the two books I wrote before I became a, a Christian, they had my picture on the cover, right? And they were, you know, a lot of like self-help stuff. And, you know, they maybe sell like 200 copies a year now. <laughs> you know, and then my other books have sold like 3 million copies. Well, and John, I, it's interesting. I did not know that part of your journey before I started doing a little bit of research for this particular podcast. But one of the quotes that you had early in the book talked about, we're not positive because life is easy. We're positive because life can be hard. That says so much, particularly in a leadership culture. What have you found as you have taken this message out to a business audience and to audiences all over this country? What has been the maybe the most impactful truth that you are finding people to resonate with? Well, thanks for asking for that. First off, I want to say, when you mentioned Ken, I love that because Ken Blanchard really had a huge impact on my life. And there's no accident that I went to Cornell and that Ken taught at Cornell and also attended Cornell. Think about that. I knew him at Cornell. I knew of him. He didn't know me, but he was a legend at Cornell. Who was my model that when I become a writer and speaker? And then I wind up meeting him. I give him the Energy Bus manuscript to look at. He reads it and he writes the forward for it. That book would not have taken off if Ken didn't write the forward for it. I mean, so his influence on my life and my work. And then I could see how God orchestrated it all because, like you said, like we're both meant to affect culture with leadership and faith. And that brings us to the power of positive leadership. I mean, Ken, years ago, was going to write a book with Norman Vincent Peale called The Power of Positive Leadership. And they never got to it. That's why I dedicated the book to Ken. I wanted to honor him for his positive leadership because he is the ultimate positive leader besides Jesus, I think. I would say Jesus and then Ken Blanchard. There you go. <laughs> That's putting him in pretty rare air right there. <laughs> right. And then when I wrote that book, I did it through the lens of Jesus 
to say, is this truth? Every principle I share in the book, is this truth? And the way you measure the truth is to look at how did Jesus lead? And he was a positive leader. He was the ultimate positive leader. He encouraged, he challenged, he united, he connected, he shared a vision. He transferred his belief to the belief of others. He did it through relationships, called for a bigger purpose, inspiring purpose in others, grit, and pursuing excellence. I think that we often think as leaders or maybe Christian leaders like, oh, like it's about honoring God, not really about excellence. No, when you are pursuing excellence, you are honoring God. Absolutely. I love what Martin Luther said. He said the Christian shoemaker doesn't honor God by putting crosses on shoes. He honors God by making great shoes. We are called to be great craftsmen and great craftswomen in our work, to put our heart, our soul, our spirit, our passion into what we're building. So if you ask me what resonates most with people, I would say it's it's hard to say one thing because it's all the truth about it, but I would ultimately say it's about being someone who stays positive in the face of negativity, to not allow the negativity to win, because that is the ultimate battle we're all facing. We need to realize that. A lot of people, I think, lose sight or forget that it's a battle between good and evil. Even non-believers, I say, why is Star Wars so popular? Why do we love Harry Potter? At the core, what are those movies about? And they go, good and evil. Exactly. We resonate with those movies so much because it's the battle of good and evil in our soul, the battle of good and evil in the world. And so positive leadership is about taking on the negativity, the evil, the fear, with a positive leadership that takes you, your team, your organization forward to do the work you're meant to do and create the future that you were born to create. John, when I think of myself as a leader and and I've got an organization that has about 75 employees, there are times that there is a direct correlation between one's optimism or pessimism in their performance. And there are times that I would like to say to people that sometimes the excellence paves the way for the attitude. Sometimes the attitude paves the way for the excellence. There's this relationship between the two that whether you are striving in excellence or not, that attitude is a instrumental and vital part of getting there. Yes. I believe it all starts with belief, and it all starts, again, in the heart. It all starts with caring more. Everyone says you have to work harder, but to work harder, you have to care more. And so if you care more, you will do more, give more, and become more. So so it's that care that we have that produces excellence. It's that optimism and that belief that there is something that we can create that will be amazing, magical, beautiful. It's about creating that brighter and better future. Because you believe it, you'll take the actions necessary to create it. They did some studies at Duke University and they found that optimistic people work harder, they get paid more, and they're more likely to succeed in in business and sports. And what they found was that the optimists actually deluded themselves to believing that there was a brighter and better future So then they took the actions necessary to create it. It became a self-fulfilling prophecy. And so God calls us towards a vision. He he always gives people a vision for a brighter, better future. Erwin McManus always told me that God will always call you to more, 
And so he gives you that vision, but it's about you taking that step each day toward that vision. And if we truly believe in a brighter and better future, if we believe that the future will be better, that means that we have to, to work harder and also use our skill and pursue excellence to create it. Are we gonna create an average future? No, we're never meant to create an average future. We're meant to create an excellent future. You said earlier, I mean, I really think that sometimes we settle for average. When as Christians, we should be the hardest working people on the planet, and we should also be the most faithful. I find it interesting that sometimes I go into different organizations that might be a Christian organization, and they don't seem very hopeful. They don't seem very positive. Some churches aren't very positive, (laughs) and we should be. John, I wonder if you have found this to be true in your experience, but a lot of what is important for people to hear may not be new information. Most people probably in your audience know that they should be positive, like they know it. It's not an information issue, but I loved the quote that you had, and I think it was Dr. James Gillis in your book that was the triathlon competitor. Dr. James Gills. Gills, yes, and he said, tell me if I've got this right, I learned to talk to myself instead of listen to myself. When I read that, I thought, what is that thing that takes you from knowing that you want to be positive and you need to be positive, but making a practical change in your everyday life? And I wonder maybe as we are coming to the close of our time together, what is one practical thing that maybe they can do differently to get out of whatever rut they are in and become a more positive person? Well, here are a few. One we could focus on what we get to do instead of what we have to do. So just change have to to get to right away. That will make a huge impact. Often we're like, I have to go to work. I have to go here. I have to go do this. I have to pick up the kids. No, you get to. You mm-hmm. can live this life. You get to make a difference. You get to interact with other people. And when you change your have to's to get to's, you change that complaining voice to an appreciative heart. Another practical thing is that talking to yourself instead of listening to yourself, just like you said, because here's the deal. Negative thoughts are not coming from us. The enemy is so good at lying to us and having us believe those lies that we actually think negative thoughts are coming from ourselves. I was speaking to a Christian baseball team and I said, does your negativity come from you? And they're like, yeah, yeah, of course. I said, really? Who would ever choose to have a negative thought? And I thought it was so interesting that they're a Christian baseball team and they literally have been tricked into believing the negative thoughts and the lies. And so the enemy is so good at giving us those negative thoughts, putting those negative thoughts in us. We then think they're from us. We start to get down because of those thoughts. We get discouraged. We feel shameful and upset for even having those thoughts in the first place. And once you're discouraged, that's it. See, the enemy knows he can't beat you. So what does he do? He gets you to beat yourself. I just shared this with a bunch of professional baseball players. He gets you to beat yourself, and that is how he wins, by you getting discouraged and just feeling down. So what can you do? Well, Jesus is our model. In the wilderness, every time the devil would tempt him and lie to him, what did Jesus do? You guys know, of course, (laughs) you know more than me, said it is written. Absolutely. It is written. It is written. He responded with truth to the lies. He didn't listen to himself or listen to those lies. He spoke truth to those lies. And that's what we can do. We can speak truth to our lies. So the lies come in, don't believe it, respond with truth. And what is truth? God's truth. 
Dr. James Gills was able to run these double Ironman triathlons, double Ironman, doing two Ironmans back-to-back within 24 hours, even when he was 59 years old, because he would recite and memorize scripture. As he was running, he would just repeat that scripture that would fuel him. Well, you can have this truth that you armor yourself with the truth, and every time those lies come in, see them for what they are, don't allow them to come into your soul and your spirit, respond with truth, and move forward with that true power. I know that's a spiritual answer, but it's also a very practical answer. And I deal with a lot of professional and college athletes, for instance. And when I share this to them, it's amazing how they get it. But we have to share this with everyone because people get discouraged. They get down. Teenagers are being inundated with the lies. They're believing the lies. It's affecting their identity. And then once you know this truth and you know who you truly are, you can now walk with that power and strength. John, one of the things that our listening audience is involved in is that a lot of our listening audience, they lead nonprofits or they lead in the business world. They're people of significant influence in a lot of different circles of leadership. A lot of us go to different types of conferences, different types of events. You have the privilege at speaking at all different types of conferences. Like you just mentioned, you also have the privilege of speaking to Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA teams, college teams. While we wrap up here, if someone's listening and you have the opportunity to go to an event, speak at an event, talk a little bit about the value of what occurs at these events when you have the opportunity to both inspire people and instruct people, why would you encourage someone to take time off of work and go into one of these type of events to not only listen to someone like yourself, but other great leaders? Speak into the importance of those types of opportunities for young leaders and established leaders and executive level leaders around the world. Well, I think in a world of busyness and stress where so many people are inundated with their to-do list and social media, that you really do have to take time to listen, to reflect, to improve, and to grow. It's like the last thing people want to do today is go to an event, and yet when they do, it's amazing how you leave those events changed, transformed, and you'll leave with like 10 ideas, 10 great things that that you can implement in your life that will have an impact on your life. So when I'm speaking at these events, I like to stay also and and listen and learn and grow. I was just at this recent event with Major League Baseball players and Francis Chan was speaking. And so I got a chance to listen to Francis Chan and I stayed an extra day so I could take part and fuel myself as well. So we resist the most, we need the most, but We need to fight that resisting, move forward and say, you know what, I'm gonna go to these events, I'm gonna take the time to recharge, refuel, grow myself, and you will always leave an event with just, even if it's just one thing that makes you better, that event is worth it. So yeah, I'm a huge believer, not just because I speak at them, but I also attend them for myself. I have over the years, and they've helped me become who I am. Well, John, so glad you said that because to me it just adds so much respect and as our listeners to be teachable and to be practicing the very things that you are speaking on yourself really shows the the humility and the teachability and knowing that we're all always in process and we all need to get out of the rat race and be fed ourselves. So as we are wrapping up today, I know that there are listeners out there that want to get their hands on your resources, maybe know where you're going to be speaking. If someone 
wants to get information on your opportunities, where should they go? JohnGordon.com, J-O-N Gordon.com, and Twitter at JohnGordon11, J-O-N Gordon11, also on Facebook and Every other social media part, Instagram. There you go. There you go. JoanneGordon.com is probably the best place. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Can't encourage people enough to go to JohnGordon.com and see all of the books that John has had the privilege of writing and sharing his message through. And if you are interested in learning more about Lead Like Jesus, let's also encourage you to go to LeadLikeJesus.com, and we'll see you next time. 